right. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Titus uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, as we continue to go through um, this, this book in the Bible. We're going to be in it five more weeks, counting today. Um, this is a ministry in the island of Crete. Um, the Apostle Paul has commissioned Titus, one of his spiritual sons, to go and lead the mission that Paul started. And last week, Pastor Michael took us through um, the process of eldership, why we have elders, why that's important. And then we're going to see in uh, this morning's teaching in verse 10 through 16 what the elders are actually doing. So read with me, and we're going to continue to go in this service. Titus 1, 10 through 16. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but their actions, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, come into this place in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit. Speak to your people today that we would be equipped to be the light of the gospel. God, to be in the world but not of the world. Raise this body up. And God, God, we pray for other churches in our city right now as well. God, equip them as they meet this morning. They would glorify you, but they'd also be equipped for the good work of the gospel. For there is much to do, and you've entrusted your bride. In Jesus' name, amen. So why do we have elders? Why is this an important thing? And, and this is something that the Apostle Paul, via the Holy Spirit, was taught to do. As the apostles planted churches, then they appointed elders, and we have elders here as well, to oversee the church and oversee the work of the Lord. To continue the gospel that the apostles started after the ascension of Jesus and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I would say that this morning, that we, we completely believe in the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We cannot, I cannot be up here, Pastor Michael cannot be up here, our house church leaders can't lead, our elders can't lead without the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And this is something that the elders would do, and we carry that on. As we look at Emmaus, as we look at eldership, I would, I would just preface this to understand that this is not my church. This is not your church. This is God's church. And I say that for every church that meets in our city and in our country and in our world. We must remember this. This is not my gospel. This is not your gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are carrying on the apostles' teachings. Right? This isn't my teaching. This isn't Pastor Michael's teaching. This is the Lord's. And in that, I would say in our, just our culture, as we look at elders and leaders, 
and sound doctrine. Watch out for this meism that's in the United States. This is nothing new, right? We're Westerners. Everything's me, 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 me. Well, this has been a part of the church too. Self-appointed leaders. Self-appointed doctrine. New enlightenment. I, I, would, I, would, I would say this with passion this morning. We are not a progressive church. We, are, we have not been enlightened we look to the apostles' teachings that has not changed. And we'll look at this, that this morning, sound doctrine and why that's important. We will look at this morning why it's important that it's not just me and Jesus, right? Like this church, we are appoint, appointed by the church before us. And that's how every church in the face of the earth has been planted. It's not just me and Jesus. Does that make sense to us this morning? When we look at elders and what they're supposed to do, and we see this in house churches with house church leaders or, or those within your peer group, watch out for thinking of anyone who corrects you is toxic. Right? There's a false teaching in our world right now. If someone, if someone corrects you or disagrees with you, they're the enemy and that they're toxic. I, I would say this. People that love you will correct you. They will challenge you. Amen? Iron sharpens iron. And I thank God in my marriage, I wish I didn't give my wife so much to correct me on, but she does. And I, I'm, not, I'm not happy about it in the moment, but I thank God for it. Pastor Michael and I will correct one another, right, mainly in our sports choices, but we do correct one another. It's an important, people that love you in church will correct you. Church hurt is a big deal, but stop thinking that the correction, the godly correction is something that you need to avoid because it was painful. Does that make sense to us? It's an important thing. And as we look at the work of leadership in your life, they will correct you. Parents, understand this. Kids do not raise themselves, right? They don't change their own diapers. They don't feed themselves. And even as they, as they get older, they still need your guidance, right? It's the same thing in the church. As we're seeing people baptized last week, and we're going to see another baptism today. We're going to continue to raise people up. And that is something that is a challenge to the Western church because, man, we're all about an hour service or however long we'll have it be, and then it's like, see you next week. Well, that's not the design that God has set forth in the New Testament church. We need one another. Mature believers need to raise up Leaders and elders need to raise up young believers. I coach uh, middle school football. I got back into it this year. And, man, 7th and 8th graders are hilarious because some know what a football is. Others do not. And you have to coach both of them, right? And as you're seeing kids, like th these 12, 13, 14-year-old boys put on a helmet, like, I'll forget, like, oh, you don't know how to strap on a helmet, do you? And I will ask them, like, okay, so as I'm trying to figure out what you know, do you have a dad at home? Do you have an uncle? Do you have a brother? Do you have someone that understands what this sport is even about? And some of them don't. And I realize, okay, I'm going to have to be a little more patient with this one. In fact, something I've seen with middle school students, which is kind of weird, they don't know how to run. I, that sound, my wife will, why are you yelling sprint? Because they don't know the difference between a jog and a sprint. I don't know why, but they don't. 
And some of those things, those cardinal rule things that you have to teach in sports, it's the same thing as a believer. We need, and it's not going to happen from the pulpit. It's going to happen in the relationships of godly people submitting themselves to other Christ-like people, not because of their goodness, but because of Jesus. That's why I use the word godly. To mature us. When we meet as a church, we want to glorify God. We want to worship him in, in, in every setting. But we also, we always pray this, that we would equip the saints. You will not be equipped without the word of God, without the spirit of God, and without the people of God. Which is one of the reasons why we have elders. Today we want to talk about sound doctrine. Verse 10 and 11. He says, for there are many rebellious people. Mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And for the sake of dishonest gain. So Paul is appointing Timothy to appoint elders. And we went over the qualifications of these elders and what they would, what they would be like. And these are the same qualifications that we use 2,000, later, 2000 years later. And what is the thing that Paul is so frustrated about and warning uh, Titus about? It is theology. Use the word today, orthodox theology. Raise your hand if you know what orthodox theology means. Okay. About 75% of us know what that means. Orthodox theology is theology that has not changed in 2,000 years. And that's why I used the word this morning that we're not progressive in our thinking to think that we are now 2,000 years later. We know more than the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter than Jesus himself, which is why we go back to orthodox thinking and theology. God's word does not change. God does not change. We are not more enlightened. We desperately need Jesus, and we need the apostles' teaching found in the New Testament. And already in the beginning of the early church, Paul has to bring up this false teaching. This is nothing new. This isn't just a 2,000 year later. This was year one in the time of the early apostles. And Paul is saying that the false teaching is already happening. We talk about this much at Emmaus of like be kind when you correct, but also we have to correct. We have not arrived or graduated or enlightened in 2023. We need Jesus desperately. Would we see the warnings of the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament? What was, what was their anthem? Look what we can do. For Adam and Eve. In Genesis, what was their temptation? What was their ultimate temptation? If you eat this, you can be like God. I believe there is a spirit in this age, and young people, we have to watch out for it, where you, your truth is your truth, even if it's not true. I don't know about you, but sometimes my truth is dumb, and so is yours. Like, I need the truth of God, right? I mean, every year I think the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl. That's not true. <laughs> Maybe this year we'll see. At Emmaus, we caution everyone thinking they are to teach, lead, 
or rebuke. We have elders and leaders for that reason. We have house churches for that reason. I'm not saying that you don't that you don't challenge one another, that you don't sharpen one another, but be careful that you're just you're just kind of being a know-it-all. You are the doctrine police. Right? We do have elders for that. And we 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 love that we have different denominations in Christ represented here. And as we challenge one another and we strengthen one another, be kind. Right? Do listen more than you speak. Understand not everyone's even in the authority to do that. I would say this. In, in our church, I, mean, I believe this should happen in every church, we do let plausible differences of theology live in the same house. Pastor Michael talked about it last week with complementarians and egalitarians. Really, the this, this theology that people have wrestled with for 2,000 years, men and women in their, in their roles in the church. We have uh, like somewhat different views here in, in, in our leadership and our people, and we found a way to get together. Oh, why? Because Scripture tells us to do everything we can to get together. We will let plausible orthodox theology sit in the same house. But when it goes against the true word of God, the clear word of God, and who Jesus is, we have to rebuke it. To say you know Jesus, and we hear this all the time in our world, but reject sound doctrine found in the Bible is a dangerous thing. Do I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to people? Absolutely. But do I believe false spirits speak to people? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because the Bible tells us, and we see it. So we live in a day and time just like 2,000 years ago with people that say, well, the Lord said this to me, or, 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 or the Spirit of God said this to me, and, but it went against the Word of God. Now, before I ever walked into a church and was discipled, and probably even before I started reading my Bible, the Spirit of God began to speak to me. But the Spirit of God said, read that The Spirit of God, if he's speaking to you, will lead you to the Word of God. So what's the main thing that in Titus the elders are to do is to keep the Word of God sacred and to be very cautious in our gatherings when false teachings come up. And would we continue that? The next thing I want to look at this morning that... that that Paul is talking about in Titus and what's going on in this false doctrine is this identity crisis. He says in verse 12 that even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. What does that mean right there? What are you saying? First of all, he's, he's telling Titus, all right, man, you have a lot to overcome. There's a lot going on in this, right? They, they've got... They've got false teachings, and he even says, especially from the circumcision group, we'll talk about that. But he says, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This, this is uh, a philosopher um, on the island of Crete, and this is one of their sayings. As Pastor Michael talked about last week, um, they were almost proud of their sin. They were known, like, to, to be from Crete was not a great thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a compliment. And why is this an important thing for us to look at today? 
See, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This is what Jesus did at the cross for you and I. He forgave you of your sins. But then he also made you a new creation. When I believe one of the issues that we deal with today, but they also dealt with in Crete, was this whole identity thing. I'm saved, I'm baptized, but I'm not transformed. In fact, many of the things in our world that would okay certain sins and this and that, the problem I have with it, other than it being inaccurate, is it changes our belief in a transforming God. I give this story often, but being in the teaching world and, and being with a fellow teacher and we're talking about students and we're talking about politics and, and what's right and what's wrong, and she turns to me and says, you know what, however you're born, that's just how you are. That's just what you'll ever be. If you were a liar, you'll always be a liar. If you're a cheater, you'll always be a cheater. And this broke my heart. She's not a believer. And I was like, that is such a sad thing for myself, for my kids, for you, like, so my DNA, it, just, it's, it's, it is what it is. There's nothing that can change. She said, yes. I'm like, but that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says when I come to Jesus Christ, I am a new creation. I am not bound by my choices in the past or my parents' choices or their parents' choices. I can be renewed and redeemed. Amen? Tim Keller says this. The Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something else besides Jesus. And when the gospel was new and churches were being built up, in this island of Crete, they were, hey, you know what? Yeah, I know Jesus. But my identity is a liar. Those two do not go hand in hand. See, Jews and Gentiles, they had different matters to overcome to follow Jesus. To the Jew, they understood a biblical God and a right from wrong, and this was a good base. However, they were just, they were confused in this religion of trying to save themselves. If you think you can save yourself by being good, you're not going to be looking for a savior. You're always going to look within. Now, the Gentiles, those that were not Jews, they did not, as they got, they got saved and started following Jesus, and they were looking for a savior and, and recognized Jesus for who he was, their biggest thing was they didn't know right from wrong. And as, as Pastor Michael talked about last week, their gods were literally as immoral as people were. So there was a right and wrong, an identity that had to be transformed with both, but yet it came from a different vein. We have some of this in our world today. Telling people, to just be good, trying to clean people up before they meet the only one that can clean them up if we, if we struggle with legalism. Maybe you come from some junk, like all of us come from some junk. Our family, we all struggle with this. And as a pastor of 20-something years and you're discipling people, and especially young people in the beginning, that's what they would say. Well, you know, all my family, we're all, 
this. Sometimes it's a good thing. Hey, we're all electricians or we're all businessmen or we're all this. We're all missionaries. But other times it would get, no, 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 we all struggle with alcohol. There's not one person in my family that's ever stayed married. And the list goes on and on and on. This is just who we are. Well, this is not a biblical concept when you know Jesus. Galatians 2, 20 and 21, and this is from the Apostle Paul. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me, and he gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. When Paul is talking about the legalism that all Jewish Christians struggled with is they were trying to clean themselves up. And we'll talk about that in the next point, but this is an important thing. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. All of our identity comes from Jesus. And what a beautiful thing that is. Years ago, one of my friends, as he was getting married, and I was in, and I was in that wedding, and I, and, I, and I gave this testimony before, but I'll give it again. But we're, we're in the East Coast and, and meeting his family, and I'm in the wedding party, and his future mother-in-law, as we're just talking about my background and, and my friend's background, and she's like, oh, you come from a divorced family. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you'll never, ever, ever be as good as a husband as he will because he didn't come from a divorced family. And when you tell a 21-year-old that, you're like, what? Like, okay. And what was awesome is I wasn't even, I knew it was wrong, but I wasn't offended. Why? Because it wasn't the truth of God. It was from a woman that just got caught up in myths and fear. My wife went through that too with with a friend at Evangel's. Like, oh, you come from a divorced family. I don't know if you're safe. Like, these are thinkings. Do we need to watch for those things? Sure, absolutely. Do we need to stop generational things? Absolutely. But all through the mind of Christ. Amen? To let the Holy Spirit speak to us and transform us. I come from a family of alcoholics. And what if I just sat there and took the truth of the world and said, you know what? I'm always going to be a person of addiction. Rather than I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I am a new creation. I remember being 12 and 13 years old and all my friends are starting to drink and, and, and my, my twin brother is starting to do drugs and drink. And I grew up in the West Coast and at 12 and 13 years old, I, already, I started dabbling in that stuff too. And I'll never forget this, the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sitting at a party, and people are getting drunk left and right. People are hooking up left and right. These are 13 and 14-year-olds. And I'm at a party. My parents don't realize it's that type of party. And I'm drinking at that point. This is the second weekend I'm doing it, and the Holy Spirit came on me. I said, don't you ever, 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 ever do this again. I'm like, What? Let's go, okay, Lord, what is it? And the Spirit of God said, don't do this. 
And it wasn't until years later that I realized that my biological father was a raging alcoholic. It, he was an alcoholic that owned his own bar. And now my twin brother, who's in his 40s, still struggles with those substances. But the Spirit of God came to me at a young age. And I do not believe that you, I believe you can, you can have a glass of wine. I believe you can have beer. I can't. I can't. Because the Holy Spirit told me years ago, don't ever mess with this. This is in your lineage. And it stops here and now. Amen? And in Titus, this is one of the things. Maybe you are a believer and you're here this morning and you're like, man, we just, everyone in my family is sexual. We just, oh, we just, we just, that's what we are. In Jesus' name, it needs to be cut off. We all struggle with alcoholism. That's not something to be proud of. That's something to give to Jesus. We all struggle with all the people in my family. We're just all bad with our money. We're just bad with, does it make sense? At some point, we have to believe the word of God above all things. The word of God that says, come near to me, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you, and I will transform you. Well, in Crete, the problem was they were doing the exact opposite. And Paul says, this needs to stop. And there's a spirit of identity that needs to be transformed in these people. One well, of the other things they were struggling with was legalism and Jesus plus something. Verse 13, 14, and 15. He says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. And so they were, they were struggling, and this just wasn't an island of Crete. This is something in the New Testament church. So Peter, the apostle Peter, he was the apostle to the Jews, and Paul and Barnabas were the apostles to the Gentiles. And one of the struggle was, as Christian Jews would come in and start trying to disciple the Gentiles, they'd say, you need to be circumcised. You need to be more Jewish to be more godly. And Paul, that's why he writes in Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ. He's like, I live that life of being legalistic and religious, and it will absolutely consume you. He says, this needs to stop. See, the, the, the Jews needed Jesus as much as the Gentiles needed Jesus. And that's why religion needed to be broke. And in our day and time, we will struggle with this same thing where denominations fight and who's more holy and who's more worthy rather than who has Jesus and who doesn't. In our city, our city sometimes is broken because Christians fight against Christians. You know, like who's, more, who's got more of the Holy Spirit? Who's better at liturgy? Whatever it would be. When Christians are called to come together and be transformed by the power of God. See, Jesus is the litmus. He's the standard. Salvation is only found through the Son. And from the time of Christ to the time now, there's always a Jesus plus something that creeps into the church. Paul says you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with temptation. You're going to struggle with sin. It can be overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to struggle with doubt. God uses it to build your character, but what always happens is like, oh, 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 you also need 
this, but it's not a godly thing. It's not a biblical thing. It's not more of the Holy Spirit. It's not more of the Word of God in you. It's not maturing. It's this Jesus plus something else. And for the Christian Jews and for the false teachings, it was, oh, you also need to be circumcised to be holy, which is why Paul says, for some, nothing is ever pure. What he's talking about is the redeeming power of God when God truly transforms a sinner. And Paul says he was the chief of them all. He was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. He was good at just being good, and he was like, and I wasn't good. But then the power of God came upon him and transformed him. We have modern-day legalism and Jesus plus something, too. To be a Christian, be more like this person or that person or that movement or this movement. Does God use people and movements? Absolutely, but let's not worship them. Let's not tell people, be more like this guy because that guy will fall. That movement will pass, but Jesus will not. Sometimes we'll tell people to do this or do that, and it's not the description that we find about the Lord. It's more like a denomination or a movement rather than what the Bible says. Another form of legalism that we struggle with in, in, the, in the West today, and it can, it can affect our church as well, is telling people to be more moral and don't do this or don't do that. Why is that dangerous? Are warnings dangerous? No. But when we tell people to clean up before they can meet Jesus, and he's the only one that can clean them up, that's a dangerous thing. And sometimes I think we do it in our, in our Western culture because, it, you know what, if you would stop sinning, it would make my life better. I mean, really. Rather than saying, like, of course, of course. Like, one of the things that, that when you deal with missionaries and they go into a, another country, and especially if it's dark, and there's just, no, there's just not much Christianity there. One of the first things you have to do in that training is to teach them not to walk in judgment. Because when you, you, when you don't know Jesus, it's dark. When you live in a whole country that doesn't know Jesus, it's dark upon dark upon dark. And you'll see things that, like, whole families are taught. Like, how could they be this lost? Well, you were once lost. Right? And so there's this teaching of, like, not to be judgmental, and even on, on, on like the island of Crete, like the, the identity thing. But to have them transformed to these liars and brutes and cheaters wasn't more religion and legalism. They needed the truth of God. And it's the same thing with us. They can stop this. They can stop that. This is why it's dangerous. They can stop that behavior. We can pass that law. We can do that thing. And they still don't know Christ. Which is an eternity issue if we believe the gospel. Only Jesus transforms us. And the good news is that Jesus did come to deliver us from our greatest enemy. Which is sin and its wages, which is death. Which is why the gospel is so beautiful. Paul is writing to Titus, this instruction, to raise up elders, that they'd be sound mind, sound doctrine, and have identity in Jesus. Would we continue to do that? I've got a couple questions that we're going to go through today, and then we're going to have a baptism. 
First question. Do you submit to the teachings of Christ found in the Bible? As you walk with Jesus, then we're going to see a wonderful baptism today. One of the things that we will teach all new believers is what the Bible says. You're not going to know everything the Bible says before you become a believer. That's not exactly how it works. But as you're a believer, you're going to walk in and you're going to come into a beautiful wrestling with the Lord. Like, to be a believer, I can't do this or I'm called to do this. You'll find both in the Bible. And there comes a point if you believe in Jesus that you would believe in the Bible and the teachings found in the Bible. Do you submit to the teachings of Christ found in the Bible? And I'd say as a mature believer, this is something you're going to wrestle with. But it is an important question and answer of yes. And some of us today, we are walking in this struggle, and it's because we don't foundationally believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Second question. Where do you find your identity? Is it in the world? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your bank account? Is it how good you live your life? Or how not good you live your life? Where do you find your identity and who you are and where you're going? And our prayer for you this morning is it would be found in the love of God, in the power of God. See, when we truly have an identity in Christ Jesus, we will understand there is nothing that can separate us from him. The power of God is absolutely transforming. You cannot outrun him. That's how good the gospel of Christ is. If your identity is not in Jesus, you will chase after other things that will fail you. You will not run to God. You will run away from God. Where do you find your identity? And then the last question, do you believe in the gospel of Jesus? For yourself and for others. That those who were lost can now be found. That when we confess that he is quick to, to forgive. Amen. So think about those questions in a time we will have um, a time to worship the Lord. But right now, uh, we are going to have a baptism. Sophie, if you can go ahead and come on up. I think she's a little excited about this. Are you excited about this? Okay. So this is Sophie Pitacy. Everybody say hi, Sophie. Okay. And her mom is going to be doing uh, the wonderful uh, pleasure of baptizing her today. Now, when we, we talk about baptism, um, this is something that we want to make sure that people know. Uh, for, may, for you, if you want to get baptized, or maybe even just, a, just an understanding of, of, of theology. This baptism does not save Sophie. That's already happened. By the free grace of Jesus Christ, accepting what he did on the cross, that she is now forgiven and set free. This baptism does not save her. We want to make sure that people understand that. It's just like wearing, my, well, I have a wedding ring to let people know that I am married to my wife. This baptism is a declaration for Sophie for the, all the days of her life that her identity is found in Jesus Christ, that she is a daughter of the King. And our job is to witness this and testify. When she comes out of the water, we're going to absolutely have a celebration. Amen? And then we're also going to help continue to walk with her as she walks with Jesus.
so we've all been super excited this week. Um, and I just wanted to share, like Ron said, um, you know, the Bible says to believe and be baptized. Um, and it's through faith that we're saved, but baptism is an act of obedience. And a good friend this week asked Sophie, why do you want to be baptized? And she said, because I really need it. <laughs> and I thought that's one of the best ways to describe uh, motivation of a heart that needs Jesus, right? And we know that. And so um, we're so blessed by Sophie. Um, we read some scriptures this morning about Jesus being baptized because as followers of Christ, we want to do what he did, right? And even Jesus was baptized. So I want to encourage you guys today that if you have faith in Jesus, be baptized, all right? Take that step of faith uh, just like Sophie's doing today. So we're going to go ahead and, and baptize you, babe. Yeah, give it another hand. Amen. And our, our prayer is that we just keep this baptism up here. Next week we have another baptism. And, and just like what, what Wendy said, if you've not been baptized, we encourage you. It will not save you. But it is a powerful declaration that Jesus is your king. And it lets others know where you're headed and what your life is about. Amen. So we encourage you to do that. Let us just keep that up. If you guys can stand, we're going to close in prayer and worship. And we encourage you just to seek the Lord today. Father, move among your people. And God, we know that you will. Not by what I do or what the worship team does or anything else other than your word is good. You say your word does not come back void. You say in your word that if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. So you're already here. You're the one that's brought us here to worship you, to be equipped by you, to be transformed by you. To be in love with Jesus and this gospel, this transforming power that we would never tire of doing good. That we would never tire of your word and your truth and your promises. God, work in your people. Break chains of addiction, incorrect thinking. Your word says that we do not have to live in bondage anymore. If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. And God, would we proclaim that today? Would we live it out for those that need to be prayed for, God? In Jesus' name, would they do that right now, according to your word and your instruction? For those in addiction, for those just wanting to, to, to proclaim they, they need to understand the Bible more and they want to read it more and they need help. Or maybe they're in a, a time in their life, they're like, I need to be mature and I need another believer to walk with me. Holy Spirit, move among your people and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name.